Hey Rick, would you like to coach more efficiently, be more athlete-centered, led by data, and get some awesome results? Oh, yes. All right, well then Coach Tools is the coaching platform for you. Coach Tools is a coaching platform with all the necessary coaching tools in one place, from planning sessions to caring about your people. It is an easy-to-use platform for coaches, head of coaches, managers, and directors with an athlete-centered approach. With efficient digital tools, you will save your time, improve the quality of your work, and enable you a way to succeed. Rick, why don't you go ahead and tell all the listeners all the benefits they'll get by signing up with Coach Tools? Well, first of all, you will be much more efficient with your practice planning because you can plan it within a couple of clicks. Then um, you can be proactive for your athlete overload with exertion follow-up. Um, what is also very, very beneficial, and that is actually my favorite part about Coach Tools, that you can build closer relationships and better trust with them and get and give feedback through an athlete-centered coaching approach. That's the hallmark of Coach Tools. Um, you understand much more better their moods, their expectations, their values and goals, because after every game, after every practice, they fill out the very, very simple questionnaire and communication is so, so easy. And you can set up cheats and you can set up all the goals and you can follow it up, you can follow it up very, very quick, easily. And then um, this is also very valuable benefit is you enhance the learning of your athletes. You can illustrate drills, content, uh, tactics with the drawing board and you can store it at all one place and you can access this all the time you can share it with your club you can share it with someone else with other coaches and then um, all the information are always available for athletes and the coaches just one click and it's very easy um, it's very easy designed on on top of this there are many many more valuable tools which you can explore when using coach tools yeah, so as Rick said, there's so much more that you can do with Coach Tools. And, and all of our listeners can get a 20% discount on their first year subscription. All you guys need to go is to go to www.coachtools.net. That's www.coachtools.net and click start free trial and just mention that we, we brought you there from the Coach of the podcast. All right, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Road podcast presented by Coach Tools. Today, we have a very important episode uh, with Kyle Williams, the Chief Empowerment Officer of A Long Talk, uh, an organization that whose goal is to create um, or have a anti-racist at every dinner table in America within, I think, 15 years is their goal. Uh, and I, I say it's an important episode because, you know, if you just look at our show list, for example, Rick, um, this is our first uh, black guest. We have not had any, um, any black guests on before. We've had a few women on before, but most of our guests have been white men. And so I think that's one reason and one thing that shows why this is such an important episode, uh, not just for us, but for, for everybody listening on how we can be anti-racist in our coaching and our work and just in our daily lives and, and also why that's important um, and why it's, it's important to listen and to understand uh, the hardships and the, um, the trauma that black people have gone through through the history of not just America, but globally. And, and what we can do to be more anti-racist and take action and, and kind of stand up 
against against racism. So it's a it's a really interesting episode. We hear about the the story of a long talk, uh, the organization, how it got started, um, with the the experience after George George Floyd's murder uh, that Kyle had with his sons at the protest and some stories afterwards. I don't want to take the stories away from Kyle because he tells them uh, very well and, and very powerfully. So I want to I want to leave that for the episode itself. But yeah, just a, a really really impactful episode i think today yeah and i also think the stories he has been telling they were very very inspiring and uh, i think he he was uh, as we said also during the podcast that uh, same for us uh, corona leaded for us doing starting to podcast and for him uh, the story with his son for example leaded to him to start to do the to do a long talk um and again like he has been preaching as well uh, during the episode. It's called for a reason, a long talk, because it's a topic that um, that a lot of people maybe know about, but still it's not discussed so openly all the time. And I think another point that was been very, very, that's very essential because I was saying this in the pre-call, I was saying this in the episode that, for example, for me, where I was growing up, um, in my small society, in my small village, everyone looked pretty much the same. So technically it wasn't present, but still then on the when you go with your friends on the playground, you hear some specific words that should not be there. So there's already some kind of um, subconsciously racism, uh, which should not be there. And that's why I was also telling uh, or asking during the episode that actually even though it's uh, also realizing, not, I don't mean realizing, but mentioning during the episode that it's very, very essential that even when we, for example, when we coach teams, that uh, there can be still subconsciously, I don't say that players, they are purposely uh, racisms, but, uh, um, but as Carl also said during the episode, that that's why it's very important that we help them to understand that uh, what this actually is, uh, what the history is behind this, and then really help them a group where this is this topic is maybe not so present, understand them why this is a very, very difficult topic and why this is a topic that should be spoken about differently and uh, viewed differently as well. So, uh, but uh, now uh, this uh, introduction was also kind of a long talk, but let's uh, head it over to the expert from a long talk, uh, Kyle Williams. And we hope that everyone will enjoy the episode as much as we did. All right. So now we would like to welcome on Kyle Williams, the Chief Empowerment Officer with a Long Talk uh, organization. Kyle, thanks a lot for joining us today. How is everything going with you right now? Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Rick. Um, that's been great. I'm looking forward to, to getting a chance to speak with you guys, for sure. Excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on. Um, I first heard about a long talk at the uh, U.S. CCE coaching conference back in June, and I, I knew right away it was something that uh, we needed to explore on the podcast just because it's something that we haven't really dove into a lot, this idea of becoming an anti-racist coach and, and how we can kind of support every athlete and create a good environment for every athlete so, and um, create a safe environment for every athlete. So we're really excited to talk with you about that today. And 
um, we always start with a little bit of background about our guests. So if you would just share maybe a little bit about who you are and a little bit about your background and kind of how you got into what you do now. Yeah, um, I guess it's it's not it's not the shortest story, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you guys. My my background is I'm, I'm a father of three, three young men. I think that's the first thing as it goes in terms of relates to this. But I'm also the son of a coach. Um, I come from a, a sports family. Um, so my three sons, uh, as I raised them, we, we played a lot of sports together. I coached them in a lot of different things, a lot of different sports coming up. Uh, I mean, played everything. Uh, we live here in the, in the Washington, D.C. area um, in, in, in the state. So it's um, you know, a, lot, a really good, uh, really good uh, hotbed, really, of athletics. And so growing up in that area, they, they played a lot of sports. So for me, though, this story in terms of the anti-racism work, it, it involves my children as well. Um, my children have grown up to be six, five and above. Right? I'm, I'm only five eleven. doesn't show that much in the, in the, in the camera. But my, my sons are six, five. My youngest is six, seven. So they have basketball bodies, if you think of it that way. And because they love the sport, that's the sport they play. So uh, my two oldest sons play college basketball. Uh, my, my oldest uh, recently graduated in May from the University of Pennsylvania. He's now at Howard University playing his graduate transfer year there. And my middle son, Elijah, plays at Gettysburg College, a small liberal arts division three school in Pennsylvania. And the story really started with them because when George Floyd was murdered, living in Washington, D.C., they wanted to go down to the protest, right? They wanted to go down to the White House to engage in the protest. And uh, their mother really didn't want them to go, right? It was COVID. There were rubber bullets. It was going to be, you know, flashbangs. And it was going to be a lot going on. And she didn't want them to go. So she asked me to go with them to really just kind of protect them, to be the bodyguard, if you will, right? And so um, I went down there and we spent five hours at the White House. This is a week after George Floyd is murdered. You know, the protests were going on and we spent five hours out there really engaging in the protests. And on the way home, my son Elijah, we were in a car, we live about 20 minutes from the White House. And on the way home, my son Elijah just broke the silence that we were having in the car by cursing. He just started getting angry. He got angry, got, got loud. He, he showed me on his phone that uh, you know his his teammate from college, his, his captain actually, had been reposting Fox News and Tucker Carlson links under everything he posted throughout the day. So it really stood in opposition of the things that Elijah was saying. And Elijah was confused because one, you know, people have the right to watch whatever news channel they want want to and believe whatever politically they want to, but he didn't understand why his captain of his team, you know, had was reaching out to him to, to show opposition to the things that he was dealing with that day. And it kind of hurt him because he had never talked to this kid about race or politics before. Um, they just played basketball together. And he, he, he texted him to kind of clear up, like, what was going on. And the kid just doubled down, you know, saying, um, be careful with the looters, bro. We need you at practice. So his take on what Elijah was going through was totally opposite. And Elijah got angry because he just didn't understand why this kid reached out to him like that. Um, so he started to text him a little bit more. And then he finally picked up the phone and called him. Um, he actually FaceTimed him and that went worse because in about two minutes they were having a FaceTime fight. Like the kid was just saying all kinds of stuff. He was, he sent up, you know, he just said all kinds of stuff and my son just wasn't having it. He wasn't going to just let him talk to him like that. And uh, my oldest son eventually leaned into the FaceTime and just told this kid, you know, on site, when I see you be ready to defend yourself. So they gotten contentious to say the least. And when they got off the phone, you know, I, I, I didn't stop what was going on because what this kid was saying was needed to be challenged. It was some really harsh stuff. And um, 
I thought about their coach, though, that was stuck in the middle of that argument. My son and that kid were going to be back on a Zoom call the next day. And I thought about the coach. And I said, you know, I texted the coach because I, I like the coach. Nice white guy. You know, I wanted him to be prepared for what was about to happen. You know, we were having those COVID Zoom calls where everybody was trying to come together while they couldn't be in the same locker room. And I said, coach, your call is not going to go that way. Like, you got a problem. Mm -hmm. And you're going to you're gonna have to do something about it. And so I texted the coach and I said, call me tomorrow before your Zoom call with the team. Call me just to talk about this to try to get, get it cleared up. He called me right back. And it was like 1030 at night on a Sunday night. Like after I had gone through five hours of protest and I had dealt with this stuff with my son in the kitchen. Um, he called me right back and I really didn't know what we were going to talk about. I really didn't know what he was going to say. Um, because honestly, if he said the wrong thing or took had the wrong take, if you will, about the race or race or politics at the, at the moment, I know I was on a thousand. Right. And I, I just didn't want to deal with it. But I said, you know what? He called me. Let me take the call. And he started talking about George Floyd. And I said, coach, I've never watched the George Floyd video. Like, I'm not mad about the George Floyd video. Like, if anything, I'm numb because I've seen this video. I don't even have to watch this video. I know how it ends. There's no I, I don't know how y'all keep watching this video. Right. And so. I'm not mad about the video coach and it kind of confused them because everybody was mad about the George Floyd video. But I said, coach, I'm mad about the 400 years that have led up to this video. Mm -hmm. I'm mad because in the next 30 days, there's going to be another George Floyd and you're not even going to know his name. And I'm mad because as a white man, I don't think you're going to do anything about this anyway. So do you still want to talk to me? And he didn't run from the conversation. He tried to change the subject. He just started listening. And so for about 10 minutes, I tried to explain to him my pain, my anger, my lack of expectation that anything was going to change, my sense of history, knowing what was going on. And, and most importantly, my fear for my child, because you told me that Gettysburg was a safe space. You sat right on my couch and said, this is the school. We got him. But you picked the captain. That's not making it safe for anybody with his actions. And so we got a problem. And when I got off the phone with Coach, um, you know, I know he cared about my kid, but I knew he had no idea about the history that I was talking about. He had no mm -hmm. concept of what we were talking about. So the next day, I didn't, I didn't think anything was going to change. And then the next day, he sent me a text message, you know, asking me about redlining, something I had said while I was talking. And I said, yeah, Coach, you can Google that. I'm not going to, we're not going to go fact for fact, but you can Google that. But I got this video you can watch. And if you want to watch this video, we can then talk about this, some of this stuff. And he watched this 80-minute video. And from watching this video, he literally became an activated anti-racist. He went from being neutral, not really knowing about this to not doing to just started doing stuff on his campus. Once he learned this information and realized this history that we're battling here in this country. And so he just started doing things in the, in the school to make it safer, started started programming, um, decided he was going to spend his money on black businesses, just had a consciousness and awareness around this issue that I had never seen before. And I was just excited that at least one person one white man was around my child that could listen to me, could learn something and then apply some of this stuff to make a difference. And so when that worked with BJ Dunn, I mean, I literally he started a program to support the DEI efforts at the school. He just started doing stuff. So I, I reached out to my other son's coaches at UPenn and I told them, like, I need you to watch this video so we can have this conversation. And then they watched the video when one of the coaches started writing articles in the, on the medium.com, a website here he started talking about his possible activism, all of the things he, he needed to do. So, again, I had never seen two white men step up and say, hey, I, I got it now. I want to do something. So my idea was to get this conversation going across the country. And so I had a I had some leverage where I was able to reach out to every college basketball coach in America, pretty much to say, 
you know, you should watch this video. And, and it was more than just a should because I work with one of the top AAU basketball programs in the country. And because we have really good talent, we told those coaches, if you want to recruit our kids in 2020, you got to watch this video and you got to come talk to us about it. And in three weeks time, 107 coaches from every major conference. We have four national champions. ESPN gets on the call. We had a three day call about race in America based off this conversation. Um, and that's really how this whole thing started. I was going to do that call one time. And I'll say this to you. The reason we had 107 coaches show up, not because of me or because everybody wanted to talk about racism, because I had some really talented players. We had six kids from our program in the last Final Four. Last year's Final Four, we had six kids on three different teams. So when we when we put the call out to say, if you want our kids, you got to come watch this video, people responded because of our talent level. But even though many of them came as performative allied, I got to check the box, say I came. By the time it was over, we told all those coaches, go back to your school and just do what BJ Dunn did. Just go find something you can fix on campus. Put your name on something that's going to make it better and make it safer. And that's what these coaches started to try to do. And when many coaches went back to places like LSU and Florida and Duke and Michigan State, nobody was really listening to what they were trying to do because the folks they were talking to hadn't seen the video, hadn't had the conversation. And they didn't have the understanding. So they started calling us back to say, hey, can you come talk to our athletic departments? Can you come talk to our coaches? Can you come talk to our students? And that's how one phone, one one Zoom call that I planned on doing just one time has now turned into over 170 different conversations with over 7000 people. So that's kind of the backstory. Um, it wasn't something I sat around and planned to do. It was a response to me making sure my kids were OK. And it was a conversation that picked up around the, the, the sporting world, if you will, um, and allowed to go from there. Um, I think this is a very, very amazing story, first of all. I think uh, this is one of the most uh, most touching stories we have been hearing on our podcast overall. So it was a very, very insightful story and uh, makes you really conscious about uh, about the subject you describe and uh, that uh, actually overall that that with some actions, how many people you can reach. So uh, it's actually also a bit similar. Similar, of course, we can't compare anti-racism to Derek's in my podcast, but uh, we also just started the podcast because of, for example, because of the pandemic. So um, some some things lead at the end to good things. So that's very, very good. And I'm, I'm very, very happy that uh, you shared the story with us, how you started the podcast. Uh, the, no, I said the podcast, yeah, a long, a long talk, because uh, it's very, very inspiring, I think. So thanks, right. thanks for that. And um, you said, and I think it was in one of the videos, You said you have a uh, you are 18 months into the project, but you have a 15 year long game plan. That's yeah. a, that's that's a long time. Could you just dive into what the game plan is? Sure, sure. It's um, well, you know, first of all, people in America have been able, have thought that ending racism was impossible. No one even tried to has tried to do it ever. It's never been a movement. To, to eradicate racism or to deal with racism in America. So when you hear something like 15 years to battle something we've been dealing with for centuries, it does sound kind of crazy, right? Mm -hmm. But when you understand the history of America, first of all, most people don't even understand the history of our country. Most Americans don't understand the depth of this, don't understand how we got here. Most people don't understand there was a time in America called the Reconstruction Era, where for 12 years right after the Civil War, this country changed dramatically. I mean, people went from being enslaved to being on the Senate floor in five years. Right. This country literally did a reversal because for the first time and really the only time in American history, 
the, the U.S. government focused on freedom and protection for black people. And that's why this country prospered until white supremacy rose up and knocked that down. You can do the research on that one. But and that's a, and that speaks to a long time ago. People, you know, people don't want to believe in that type of history. But I'll give you something more uh, recent that's happened in America that that kind of mimics this. Right. And so we used to have a, this. We used to in America, we used to have a country where you could smoke cigarettes in airplanes. And young people trip off of that because it sounds so crazy today that we would allow people to smoke cigarettes and airplanes. But America used to, like literally talk show hosts, your principals, your teachers, everybody smoked cigarettes. It was the cool yeah. thing to do in America. And so right around the time I was born, everybody did it. Yeah. And then and, and the reason we allow people to smoke, one, because we thought it was cool. And two, because it's America. You have freedom to do whatever you want to do. So when people started smoking cigarettes, People didn't really trip like you could smoke anywhere, mm. literally. And we thought it wasn't going to hurt anybody. But then the science started showing us that cigarettes were actually killing people like them making that choice was actually bad for their health. And so what did we do? We, we realized that these big tobacco companies had lied to us. It wasn't cool. It was going to kill people. So the first thing we did, though, was for the cigarette smokers, we told them, you know what? You should probably stop smoking because that's dangerous for you. And we didn't really care if they did or not because it wasn't affecting us. It was like, well, I'm not going to smoke, but if you want to smoke, that's on you. But then we realized that their cigarette smoke was killing everybody in the room, that it wasn't just their poor choice that was affecting us. That secondhand smoke was killing children and people in the house. And so we decided as a nation, we got to stop that. We got to do something about this. So what did we do? We first educated people. We put a sticker on a box and said, this is going to kill you. You should probably stop. It's going to kill everybody you know. The Surgeon General said big tobacco lied. You should probably stop. And that education campaign actually worked. Millions of people stopped smoking cigarettes immediately because they didn't want to die. They didn't want to kill other people. So we had that was it. They were done. Now, for everybody, that didn't work. Some people said, you know what? I'm going to keep smoking. It's not going to happen to me. I'm good. So for those people that kept smoking, what we did for them is we made it cost them more to make a poor choice. We raised the prices of cigarettes. We added extra taxes on cigarettes. So while you could still make this poor choice because it's America, you have the right, it's going to have a cost to it associated with it. For yeah. some people, they stopped smoking cigarettes so they couldn't afford it anymore. Yeah. My brother didn't want to, couldn't afford the cartons of Newports. So he stopped smoking yeah. cigarettes. They raised the prices. But for other people, they were like, you know what? I got the money. I, it's not going to happen to me. I don't care about my cigarettes. I'm going to keep smoking. And we told those folks, that's fine, too. It's America. You have the right to do what you want to do. But you got to take that shit outside. You can't do it around us anymore. You can't do it in my space anymore. And it's the same thing we have to do with racism. We got to educate people. You've been lied to about with this. These facts you believe, these things you think you know are not true. Secondly, if somebody wants to keep being racist and keep making comments and keep believing this stuff, they have the right to do that. But it has to cost you something. Might cost you your job. Might cost you a relationship, might cost you your spot on the team, whatever, but it's going to be a cost to that poor choice. And then finally, if people want to keep doing it, that's fine too, but you got to take it somewhere else. You can't do it on my team anymore. You can't do it at my kitchen table anymore. You can't do it in my classroom or anywhere. You got to go somewhere else with that nonsense. And we believe that if we have 15 years of having millions of people telling racist and racist comments and challenging them to take it outside, that we will eventually create a space just like we did with cigarettes. There's a non-smoking section. <laughs> and then everybody else got to go outside and do their thing. We want to push people to the fringes. So our goal is not to say that everybody in 15 years will not be racist. Our goal is to understand 
that if you're going to choose to be that, you're not going to be welcome and accepting in the spaces that normalize our culture. And that's what we're looking to do is reverse this culture of what's normal in America and what we have to just accept. Yeah, and I really like the message that you put like in the front of your website, alongtalk.com, that we want an anti-racist at every dinner table and, and in every space kind of thing where, you know, people are challenged to, hey, take it outside and um, we don't we don't want it around here. It's not it doesn't fit in our culture. It doesn't fit in what we believe in and how we want to treat people. And I, I have a question for you because we were we were speaking a little bit in the pre-call about, you know, how honestly just uncomfortable this topic made Rick and I before, you know, we decided to, to have you on. And um, we've had one episode before about diversity, equity, inclusion. And um, that's one out of 104 episodes so far. So uh, it is somewhat of an uncomfortable topic for us. And I, I just want to ask, how do you encourage people to get over that hump, like that, that hump of knowing that, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable when you start, but and like you need to you need to embrace that uncomfort kind of thing until um until it becomes comfortable how do you how do you encourage people to do that and uh like it, i don't know if that if that kind of question makes sense but i hope you yeah. know what i mean yeah no that's a great question and i will say when i was doing the research when i got the invite from you guys and i was doing the research i looked as well and was like wait a minute I'm gonna be the first black person they've ever had on this on this talk show, on this podcast. But it but it was awesome that you were all reaching out. And I was so glad that, you know, you from your experience saying, hey, I want to make sure we bring this. Because this is important because you could have just kept doing what you were doing. Like you could have, you obviously had a hundred podcasts. It's your 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 audience is there, your topic is there. And it's not like you were trying to. You guys live in a space and operate in a space in a sport that there is not a lot of diversity. So you you wouldn't be weird nobody would say hey look you guys are ignoring all this right mm. but mm. the fact that you actually decided to intentionally engage is the first step because here's the thing racism has been around forever right it doesn't affect if, if it doesn't affect you <laughs> meaning personally if you as a white person are not impacted by it directly or if you if you don't if you're not around people that spout it or believe it you could literally go through your whole life with it just being a side issue as somebody and not not even being as a mean person it's just not in your purview right I, i'll give you a quick story when i was walking down the street in dc one time someone asked me just stopped me and asked me if i would donate to um some refugees that were happening somewhere else in the world 15 dollars a month he told me about it i signed up and for the last five years i give 15 dollars a month to this refugee program all none of my friends do that but not because they don't aren't good caring people they just didn't get stopped on the side of the road by the guy Right. Because I was able to learn about this and it's something I cared about. I was like, I could do that. Fifteen dollars a month. What is that? So the first thing is about understanding you have to have knowledge of something. We, we our formula is real is simple in the sense that we believe that information plus empathy equals action. If I don't know about something, I can't do anything about it. If I don't care about something, I won't do anything about it. So the idea is if we can have a conversation where I can teach you. Literally, the history that's right here in front of us that's been hidden from all of us in America and really around the world, that just by knowing better, you might want to do better. Mm -hmm. Then if we can have a conversation about it, or we can say, you know what, not only is it just information, but I also realized I, I like that guy, Kyle. I liked mm -hmm. his stories. I, I liked having that conversation. I'm going to go look a little deeper. So now you start to look up and see things all around you that you can start to fix, just like your podcast. You came mm -hmm. to that U.S. SEC and you're like, you know what? I, I have a voice. I could use this, too. Let me let me make the conversation. So by doing that, we all pull each other into a conversation that we've all avoided forever. You know, we growing up, we all believe like 
I'm not supposed to have this conversation. Don't talk about race, religion, politics, right? And you have a, a, a easy world. You won't have any arguments, right? But it's not until we're able to have these deeper conversations that we can have real conversation around it. We have to re real relationship around it. So it is a process, yo, of just going in and deciding that, you know, I'm going to lean in because you could literally ignore this topic most of your life and it would not affect you. I don't have that choice. My children mm -hmm. don't have that choice. So this idea of being able to pull people into a conversation that might not be comfortable is really about how comfortable are we of living in a world where racism just persists? Mm -hmm. That some discomfort there has become more uncomfortable to have to go through this all the time versus diving into the conversation. Mm -hmm. I just think it's about having a little bit. It's a, it's a little bit of courage, um, but it's also really not. It's, it's easier than understanding calculus. Mm -hmm. We do that. We, you know what I'm saying? We spend time doing that. So we just have to dive in, though. Yeah. And I really like the point you made that the information plus empathy equals action. That's, I think, a very, very, I've never heard that equation and I definitely wrote it down because it's a, it's, it's a very, very, I think it's a very good thing to preach, first of all, to have this information. And also, I think uh, this is also very translatable to actually coaching because uh, this, this way you can actually help players to, to, to get better because if you provide them with the specific information, you raise their empathy and then they can take the necessary action. So I think it's a very useful equation yeah. that can be used in uh, many, many different, many different aspects among others coaching. And um, we had this discussion a bit on the pre-call as well is that um, I know that Derek has been already reading some books about anti-racism, for example, and has, uh, has uh, made some, as a, as a bit of background knowledge in this topic. And uh, obviously he grew up in the United States and North America. And I grew up in, in Europe and especially I grew up in Germany and especially the part I'm from Germany. Uh, when I was growing up, you did not see a lot of, uh, a lot of people with different skin color on the street. So it's uh, the, the region where I was growing up was just totally different. And this has been probably never a topic but then if you drive like just 30 minutes uh with the car to berlin or you go to a different city like hamburg or somewhere else you a lot of different cultures from a lot of different countries with a lot of different backgrounds meet so but especially for me like uh because uh this is actually it goes back to the point um you made or the story you told about someone stopped you at the street uh to make to make some donations and it's the it's the same like where actually i'm from because where where i'm from this is not a big topic because it's just not so much like this topic is not it's not so much paid attention to because it's not like necessary and it's not uh it's not it's not so much available and it's not so big so yeah. i think that uh, was a very important uh, a very interesting point as well yeah it's, it's all about awareness we, mm -hmm. we have People have good hearts, but if you don't know about something, like I said, if you don't have the information, you can't even manifest some empathy. There's nothing to care about if I don't know. And then if you if you have information, but it's not real to you, right? You might not want to do anything about it. And even when it talked about sports, it's interesting. You know, I, I'm a longtime coach, and so you think about it. If there's a kid that comes to you that needs that wants to get better, but you don't have the information to make their technique better, their skills better, you really can't help them. You might have the information, but if you don't care enough about this kid, if you don't think they're going to be a part of your team or you don't think they're mm -hmm. part of your pro, you're not going to make the difference. Right. So you're right. It goes to coaching and anything we do, anything we do in our relationships that we have to know what's going on. We have to care enough to want to fix it and then go out and do the work. 
A lot of people don't even want to. Some people will, will, will know what's wrong or know what needs to be fixed. They'll care about it, but they don't want to go do the work. Right. Some we know some people like that. They're athletes like that who we give them all the training, but they just won't get up and put in the work. So all those pieces have to come together for us to make a change. And that's this is some while it's while it's high level in terms of people have to commit to doing it. It's not difficult to challenge racism whenever you see it. Yeah. And I, I'm wondering, you you brought up a story in um, I believe we maybe talked about in the pre-call, but also in a few of the videos on YouTube about you were watching one of your son's college basketball games, I believe, and um, you were experiencing some racist comments, if I'm if I'm correct. I couldn't remember if they're directed towards you or directed towards some of the players. Um, but I, I want to let you tell that story if you if you're willing, and um, and then maybe we can talk about how how do we get there ourselves? How do we get to that point where where we can step in just like that that couple did for you? So if you wouldn't mind sharing that story, and I think it's a, it's a really powerful one, then maybe we can build off of that and ask you some questions about that. Absolutely. So one of the things that we do, I think one of the great things about our conversation is that on the second day, we teach something called the CPR protocol. And it's literally a protocol that you can use to, to, to interrupt racism. It's a series of questions that you can use to interrupt racism. And so and we teach it in a way where it's not we, we, we teach something called progress over perfection, because you're not going to be perfect on this. You're not going to get out of the words right, but you need to step in and do something. So that's kind of the backdrop for this story. But that process, that, that protocol actually saved a long talk in a way, because when my oldest son played his first uh, game of this, of this season, a college basketball game, he played it down at uh, Florida State. Right. So we're down in Tallahassee, Florida. And his team, University of Pennsylvania, didn't stand for the anthem. Like they decided they weren't standing for the anthem all season. And so when they didn't stand for the anthem, that upset some people in Florida. His first game of the season, the fans didn't know it was going to happen. So when they sat, there were some people that were making some comments in the stands. And I was sitting in, um, in the first row right behind the bench, right? So you had the teams taking a knee, I mean, sitting for the anthem. I'm sitting behind them. There's an empty row behind me. And then there are Florida State fans in the third row. And as the anthem was ending, like another chorus was starting in the, in the, in the gym. Like people were starting to had seen them sit the whole time. So as the song ended, people started yelling stuff at the team. And at one point I was like, yeah, I think that was the N-word. Then I was like, oh, I definitely know that was the N-word over there, right? And so these words, these people are saying these things. And this guy behind me just starts yelling, like repeating everything that was said in the rafters. He's just yelling everything to the team because he's right there behind the team. And I'm sitting down and he's starting to say these things and they're just getting worse and worse. And I, I was trying to think of my, my questions that I've been teaching people on how to challenge racism, but I couldn't think of a question because I was getting so angry because of this, this stuff he was saying. And then finally he yelled over my shoulder and he said, coach, you better tell them boys to get up. This is the South. If you don't get them up, we'll get them up. And my sense of history kicked in because I'm like, I think he's talking about lynching my son. And I kind of just lost it. Right. So I stood up and I was like, yo, you got to stop right now. And I put my hands up and everything. I was like, this is going to stop one way or the other. All this stuff you're doing is going to stop. And it was confront. It was a confrontation going. On. It was about to go down, basically. And I, and I, cause I, I'll say this to you: I, I did not graduate from high school most likely to solve societal problems with white people. Like that's not my mm. background. It's not my natural flow. I'm from Plainfield, New Jersey. We don't play that. We just don't play that, right? So, I was I was trying to get myself together, but I had decided that he was going to stop, and I was going to gauge the way I knew how. 
And as I'm thinking to myself, if I get into this fight on national television, I probably can't do this anti-racism work anymore. <laughs> I really couldn't stop myself because I was engaged. I was the guy was going back and forth. It was on. And then this white woman came and came in between the row, the row between he and I. And she just slid into the row on her husband. And when she got into the row, she looked at this guy. And she just looked at him. He was bright red. He was yelling all kinds of crazy stuff, slurs and all kinds of stuff. And she said, what are you doing? She just looked at him. I was like, what are you doing? And he, he turned and looked at her. He stopped arguing with me. And he looked at her and he said, they got to stand for the anthem. And she said, that's your opinion. They have an opinion. What are you doing? You're making mm -hmm. this little girl cry. Because one of the dads who I tapped and we got up with me, his daughter started crying because she realized we're about to go to jail. Like, it's about to be on. And she said, you're making this little girl cry. I'll stop it right now. And this dude who had been spewing all kinds of hate just looked at this woman and just took a walk up the bleachers. And he mm. came back five minutes later and he never said another word to me about anything. And we lost the game by 35. So he could have been grilling me the whole game. But the point is she interrupted racism. Like she just got mm. up and no one else came over. Security didn't come, nobody came. This one little white woman walked over and interrupted racism with a question and just sent him packing because she put a mirror in his face. He was in front of his kids and his and the grandfather. It was like three generations. And she's like, this who you want to be for real? And because he didn't want to be, was he, he like snapped out of it and realized mm. that he was, and he took a walk. So the point to, 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 to what we, to why that's so important and why it was so important for me is as much as I, there was nothing I could have done, right? It, it, it took a white person to stand up in the gap and say, I got this. He had no slur for her. He had no, it, it's like a glitch in the matrix and messed them up. If it had been my mother that would have gotten up, another black woman, I definitely would have gone to jail because he would have said some other crazy stuff to her. But because it was this white woman, he, it's a glitch in the matrix. They're not used to seeing, like she's not used to having to argue with a white person about racism. And so the best part about the story, though, is that the woman that did that, that's the mother of the coach at UPenn who I sent the video to almost two years before that. So because he got on the call, he called his mom and was like, mom, I need you to go through this because we're serious about an anti-racist at every single dinner table. We just need one at every table. It doesn't you don't have to have the whole family. When Uncle Bob starts on his rant, we just need one person to ask the question. What are you doing? Take that somewhere else. Right. That's what happens with bullies. You only need one person standing with the bully. We teach that. Right. It's the same thing with anti-racism. Just make a decision that you're going to be the one person. That was the one person for me in the gym that day that literally saved the day. So I think it's a powerful story of what you can do. But more importantly, it doesn't take it's not perfect. She didn't ask the perfect question. She just literally interrupted. We have the right to interrupt racism when we see it. If you don't interrupt it, it's people think it's OK and you think you believe it to be OK. So that's the problem we got to push through. Yeah. So is it. Is the CPR protocol, is it just to to be, is it just those questions? What kind of questions can you ask when you're in that kind of situation? And um, I, I guess I'm, I'm just asking you maybe to go a little bit more into that and maybe give us um, a few more, maybe like, I, I don't I don't want to say tips, but maybe some other um, parts of those protocols. If like we ever find in ourselves in one of those situations, um, what are some of the things we can do and, and say to, to the, the guy being racist? Absolutely. And I'll do another thing. I, we, we have a, a, a study guide. I'll send you guys the link so you can share it with, you know, as you share your podcast, you can share with the link because it's, it's really not it's not rocket science at all. The CPR protocol 
Um, it stands for, the C is for clarifying, right? You ask a mm -hmm. clarifying question. The P is a probing question. And then the C is, and the R is a recognizing question. So most of the time people say something racist. Now, here's the thing. This applies for sexism, uh, homophobia. We can, you can, whatever someone says something problematic, most people want to argue with them about it. You're wrong for saying that. I can't believe you said that. Da, da, da. You know that's not true. Da, da, da. We start getting into these arguments. People will argue facts, but they'll also answer questions. So what we do is when somebody makes a comment, right, what we, what we want people to do is just ask a clarifying question. Make them own their comment, right? So if somebody makes a comment about, I don't know, black hockey players, I don't know, you know, black hockey players just don't have the stamina to survive, I don't know, whatever the comment might be, right? You could argue with them. You could pull out all types of other types of examples. Or you could say, well, tell me what you mean when you say that black people don't have the stamina to play hockey. Like, explain mm -hmm. what that means. That's a hard thing to do now because now I got to go and really back up my racism. I got to come up with something that I heard or something that I found. But I want you to do that. I'm, I'm not going to argue. T tell me about it. I'm going to act my curiosity. Help me understand what you mean that you don't think black coaches can be successful because they whatever, whatever the comment is. Whatever they say is fine. Like you might ask a little clarifying, well, where, maybe where they got that from or something like that. But I just want you to own it. I don't want you to say, well, that's not what I said or don't judge me. No, no, no. Say exactly what you mean. Right. Once they clarify their statement, they might double down. Like, no, I've never seen a good black hockey coach. OK. All right. Instead of arguing that, I'm going to say, well, how do you think it makes black people feel when you make comments like that? What that does, because here's the thing. They're not going to say that while I'm in the room. It's going to just be y'all two in the room, right? They're going to make that comment. So I need you to bring me into the room by asking the question of, now that you they were clear that what you said, how do you think it makes black people feel? If they made a sexist comment that women shouldn't be able to do this, okay, well, how do you think it makes women feel if they heard you say something like that? Now I'm doing the empathy check, right? We're going to check your information that's maybe a little off, but let me just see if you have some empathy. Because if you say, I don't really care how black people feel, well, that's the end of the conversation. Because I'm, there's no way we're going to get around it. I might even decide at that point, let me get you up out of my phone. I'm not sure why I see you have you on my phone. Like If you don't care about people, right? That's, we can sort the room. The third question, though, if, if they're able to at least consider, well, you know, I don't I haven't never gave it much thought. Well, consider, you know, how would a black person, how would you feel if somebody was always opposing you, right? Mm -hmm. the third question, the recognizing question, it gives them a chance to see that they have a choice. And then you say to them, well, what, what do you think that the impact would be um, if you supported black people instead of opposed them on this, what if you decided you wanted to help more black coaches become part of our, our, our organization? Like, what would that do? It gives them a choice, but more importantly, it tells them I'm going to give you this choice because every time you say comments like this, I'm going to interrupt you with these questions. And so it's just a matter of taking that when you hear these things that happen around you that you didn't know what to say before. It's about asking clarifying questions about them and making putting, putting putting people on the spot in front of others to say i just want you to i just want you to choose your racism i don't want it to be veiled anymore see for us we're looking to just we're looking to divide through for progress we're looking for everybody versus racism that's the two teams everybody versus doesn't matter if you white black liberal conservative everybody versus racism that's it right and so that's what we're looking to do to inspire people to to, to make a choice and to get on the right side of history so I, I hope that helped a little bit in the protocol. But when we, when we have our long talk, we practice for 30 minutes. It's not, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it sounds simple, but we literally go on, we, you know, when we do these on Zoom or live, we're going to take time to break out in groups of three. Somebody's going to make a comment. Somebody's going to use the, the protocol to push back. Someone's going to observe and give feedback. Two to three minutes, mix it up and do it again. We're going to practice it. 
because we feel like if everybody learns and practices it, we can just challenge and interrupt racism all around. A million microaggressions in the other direction. That's our goal. We want to get to yeah. a million people who are able to push back and say, yeah, we're not having that joke. Right. Or tell me exactly what's so funny about that joke. Which piece of the joke was the was the knee slapper for you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I want to really put it on blast and see what we're talking about here. All yeah. Right? And before I ask my next question, I just want to I just want to give you the chance. So where, where can people find and join the long talks? Because I, I think that's such a valuable piece of your organization. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely on our website at alongtalk.com. We actually offer so the way our program works, we're working with with schools and uh, universities, corporations, K through 12 school districts. So we do this whole it's a four hours. It's two two hour sessions. So it's four hours of programming. And we're working with people all over the country doing that. But what we do is we have a free call every single month on our website. So every month, anyone around the world can tap in to our to our website and get the same exact call we do for Duke University, the same call we do for Deutsche Bank. Um, because what we do is we offer this as a way to build people's community. So if you go, let's say, for instance, you go through our programming through Duke University, Duke's not going to pay for your uncle or for your neighbor to come do it. Mm-hmm. But we want you to build that team up because you got to that's the, that's your crew. Right. You got to. So what we do is every month we have a free call where you can invite. It's like a plus one for life. You can invite anybody you want. They can go through the whole programming and they can be a part of what we're doing. So we, we do it both ways. But right on the website, there's a there's a button that says take a seat at the table. You click that button. It gives you all the pre-work. It gives you all the information. There is a pre-work requirement. You have to watch that first video that I share with those coaches to get this ground, uh, the foundation of our conversation. But once you do that, you join our classroom, you get involved, and then we have a call. I think it's uh, coming up on September 10th is, is one for this month, I believe. Or four, 14th and 21st, actually, September 14th and 21st. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you. I I, I have yet to join one myself, but I, I think I'm going to join in the in the next month or two for sure because it's something that – um, I, I think it's so valuable and, um, and why not, right? Like, why not take that, that take that step? So, um, my, my question going back to kind of the, the CPR and everything like that, where are stepping past the CPR and going to more of a maybe institutional level, looking at it and, and looking at, you know, when you think about all of the schools you work with, the programs you work with, uh, and the organizations you work with, you mentioned earlier that it's, it's hard to get people on the same page if they don't understand the the problem if they don't and and like we talked about with that equation it's hard to know and it's hard to care if you don't if you don't know so my my question there is you know what are some of the things that we can do uh on the maybe institutional level or working with other people in an institution or in a club for example um that you know can kind of help that process along the way and obviously getting them involved in programs like the long talk and stuff like that. But you know what I mean? Like besides just standing up when we see racism in our face, like what, what are some of the other things that we can do to kind of become anti-racist in, in other ways as well? Yeah. I will say the first thing is the most important thing is the last part you said is just to stand up when you have the chance. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do to prep for that, but anti-racism is a verb. You have to actually do something when it's time. So I'm glad you, you got that point. But we, we believe we can educate to end hate. Like the reality of it is most people are good people, right? They just don't know, right? And, and so if you know better, you do better. Like, again, my analogy of talking about that, that you know, giving $15 a month to the refugees. It's not because it didn't make me a better person that day, but it made me more informed, right? And so when you become more informed. So what I always say to people is, one, that foundational piece for us the, uh, this Jeffrey Robinson video. And here's the thing. 
that video was so powerful because it's just a lecture. We use a lecture. He's talking to other lawyers. But because it was so powerful, some um, somebody heard him give that speech five years ago and they basically decided to follow him around. And they've now released a full length documentary on Netflix. It's called The Who We Are Project. Jeffrey Robinson is the guy's name. It's called The Who We Are Project. It's on Netflix. Anybody can watch that. Right. And it tells about this history of racism in America. The thing about information. Well, in, we live in an age of information, whether it's social media, whether it's the Internet, you can you can find out anything you want to. There are things that for a long time was not in the mainstream of our curriculum. People decided we weren't going to learn certain things. But now, you know, in the age of information, ignorance is a choice. Like it's totally up to you if you want to still remain ignorant about any of this stuff. If people that still want to believe what the Confederate flag means, they just haven't looked it up. You could actually Google what the Confederate flag means, and the creator of the Confederate flag will tell you that it was about white supremacy. Now, you can take that and say, I want to stay ignorant and say it's about my heritage. That's you choosing ignorance over information. At that point, that's that's kind of where we are with some people. But for many people who decide, well, now that I learned something, I can think something differently. So it's a matter of sharing information, whether it's this video. is a, is a great book that I think even your I think your audience might even like even better. Because it's called, it's a book called Cast, C-A-S-T-E, The Origins of Our Discontent. And it talks about these systems of oppression, and it never talks about race or racism at all. It never enters that. It, it actually brings about the caste systems of India, the caste systems of Germany, and how that all has played out in America as well. But it doesn't even talk about race. So there's there are different pieces you can understand um, to get a little deeper on understanding of what's happening in the, in the country and in the world by diving a little bit deeper. Especially in, um, like, if I compare Europe and where where I have been living to North America, um, again, this is like uh, here. This is the topic is so different here because we just don't have so many. Like, it's obviously in Europe are living the majority of the people who are living here are white, so um, we don't we don't have so much on a daily basis uh anti-racism or race racism problems overall but um you can still realize for example uh, in coaching i think and overall like if you if you have like if you work with specific groups that um they still sometimes use uh racism oriented language uh even though they are born in a they are born and raised in a totally different culture in comparison to North America, and still they use this kind of language uh, because they what well, hear it in movies or in songs or in everything. And especially in these kind of situations, when you have this kind of case in your team, how do you actually help your players make conscious about that this is uh, something uh, that you should definitely not to keep doing in the future yeah again i think it goes back to education i just think when people because again you, you know when someone is acting in through ignorance and again i use ignorance meaning i just don't know what i'm doing right mm -hmm. when someone's doing that you can't really you can't really speak to their intent you mm -hmm. can't really speak to their understanding because they just i'm just repeating what i heard blah, blah. yeah exactly yeah. yeah once you educate them to say hey this is what this means Here's the impact. That's why that second question is, how do you think this might make other people feel? Yeah. Right now that takes, you don't have to read another book. You just have to get into the shoes of somebody else and say, this might be problematic. So I think the first thing is the awareness because if we just let things happen, most of the time when we see racism or hear racism, 
our reaction is to hope that person goes away. Mm. Our first reaction is, I just hope they stop talking. I hope nobody hears them and gets offended. I hope my friend doesn't walk in while this person is saying this stuff, right? But if we allow that to continue, if we allow that to be the norm, we're just setting ourselves up for something to happen. We gotta be, a, we gotta be proactive and say, you know what? I, I'm gonna assume you don't understand how hurtful this is. So let me help you understand how hurtful it is. So now you can make a choice. If you make the choice again to do it, then I know you want to be hurtful. Mm. Now I got a different approach. Now I might decide I don't want you on my team. Now mm. I might decide you're not good for our chemistry. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take you for if you don't know any better. I'm not gonna hold it against you. But once I teach you this. It's just like anything else. Any other thing that we do with an athlete, you get a new player on your team, they mm -hmm. learn something, a different strategy from another coach. They're mm -hmm. coming out doing what they learned, and it's totally different than what you're doing. You can decide, oh, this person is terrible, I can't. Or you can coach them up and say, I know you learned that over there. This is what we do over here, and see if they can manage it. They might want to do it more. Like, they, they might come from a space, a, a player might come from a team that where there was some really real racist stuff going on. There were jokes, there were comments. There's a real culture of racism. We, you notice there are some spaces where that's a real culture. So if mm. I come from that team, I might not have ever wanted to be a part of that. But mm. if I didn't have anybody telling me differently, I just fit in with the team. So when I come yeah. to your team, now you come to my team. Well, here, let me teach you this protocol. Let me teach you what we're going to do. This is how we respond. Now I'm even more excited to be on your team because mm. this, this is the environment I was looking for all over. But if we just allow it to kind of flow and nobody steps up and says, no, we're going to be different. Then it's hard to really it's hard to really drive people and guide people to where you want them to go if you don't if you let it be you know vague and open to everybody. So we have to name it first and make it important, and we can get people to, to understand why we're going to put the work in to be able to do it. I I want to ask because I think it, it's a, it's a hot topic I think in the U.S. right now of of what should be taught in schools, for example, and and should um, actual history be taught in schools, like and and how you know the racist history of the of the states and how much of that should be taught in schools what should be taken out and put in and things like that and it seems you know there's different opinions all over the place right but a lot of the arguments from people that want to take things out of school and and just kind of whitewash the the history books and everything like that is that it should be up to the the parents to decide what the kids learn and things like that so i i i feel um it's an important question to ask because you know, as coaches of, of young people, when we see that, when we want to educate our players on on that kind of thing, there there might be pushback from, you know, the parents of these kids and um, and things like that. So what what do you say to that? And, and kind of what um, maybe advice can you give us when when dealing with, you know, it's the kids that are ignorant, but it's the, the parents that are maybe keeping them ignorant in that way. I, I think a lot of what I do is again when people i like to ask questions right yeah. so when, I, when you ask questions like i would want to ask that parent a question that parent what do we gain by keeping your child ignorant about this topic mm. like what do you hope to gain by keeping your child in ignorance like that puts it on them to say well i want my child to be ignorant because blah 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 right I, but at least they're recognizing that first you're making a conscious decision that you don't want truth don't want information you want some level of ignorance right and somebody might tell you, well, I don't I don't want them to have to think about all those things. I don't want them to have to, you know, I don't want them to feel guilty about maybe what's something that happened in the past that they had nothing to do with. I don't want them to feel ashamed of being a white person and being an oppressor. Okay, those those are the feelings, right? My question for people would be then is well, I put it this way. I don't believe that that's actually all the way true, right? When I say that, meaning 
it's not this feeling of shame that people are afraid of. I think there's this feeling of, of empathy that people are afraid of. Because here's the thing, in America, if little white children all grew up understanding the truth about what has happened in our country, that how much race, how much of a role race has played. Race has, people say, you know, black people played a race card. You have to understand in 1776, the ultimate race card was played when this country was founded. If you were one race, you had everything. If you were another race, you had nothing. That's where we started. So playing the race card now is kind of funny to me when this whole country was founded upon race, right? And when we sit and we don't talk about this and we don't actually work on how to get through it, we can't fix it. So many people that don't want white children to learn this stuff, they just don't want it to get fixed, right? This, this whole idea around, because um, think about what you said, people don't want the truth to be taught. Mm. Like people want to go to school. We've exposed this as a lie now. We've exposed the fact that, you know, when we were, when I grew up, George Washington, I was learning that George Washington never told a lie and that he had, you know, wooden teeth. The first lie in that is George Washington has actually had teeth. His teeth were made from enslaved people. Mm. He, they took their teeth and made his teeth. So that's the, you can't tell me he never told a lie, but then the first lie you tell me about him, right? Because if we don't talk the truth about it, we can't understand how this all works, understand how we get past it today. There's a quote that um, James Baldwin says, I'm going to get it wrong. All the, um, I should get it correct because I use it all the time. But um, basically what it says is that our history is terrible. And until we honestly assess our history, well, it's never going to get past that. If we don't look at, you don't learn anything in sport, in anything in your life, if you don't just by staying comfortable and not hearing the bad stuff. If I was teaching, you guys work with elite athletes. If, if when they showed up every day, if you just wanted to keep them comfortable by telling them how great they were, they would mm. never get to the next level, right? And we know that about everything else except racism. When it comes to racism, we believe everybody just stay comfortable. Everybody just agree and we'll all get past this, but it doesn't work like that. Yeah, uh, definitely. I'm gonna, uh, it's a very, very interesting perspective because um, in my childhood, this topic was not present so uh, so much. Of course, I think my, my parents have been educating me properly about it, that there's specifically certain things I should not um, should not say and should not. There are specific actions I shouldn't do. So definitely in this case, but still like in, the, in my overall society where I was growing up, this topic was not so present at all. And um, I was also watching, actually, I was watching two YouTube videos that Derek was sending me just in advance of this conversation here today. And the one was the cooperation with the BYU. And I think that's a very, very interesting video because from my understanding, this is like a kind of big university. And um, could you just share with us how the cooperation uh has been started and what's the purpose with them and how it's going yeah no it's interesting and it's also interesting that you, know, you brought them up also there's a i don't know if you notice in, in america there's some things going on with with byu with their programming and also with, mm. with the situation with duke volleyball we actually work with both programs we we, mm. we we met with duke volleyball august 16th um we just left duke literally before they went out to byu and we've been working with byu over the course of, of the year um you know our our connection to BYU came from that first phone call. So on that first call with all the coaches, there were two coaches from BYU that were there, right? And so when they went back to Utah, they told some folks in their department, and it took a long time, really. It took almost a year, really, for that conversation out there to, to catch root, if you will. They hired a new um, 
uh, DEI person out there, Whitney Johnson, incredible person. And she reached out to us and said, you know, we want to do this work. We know we have a long way to go. Um, if you know the history of BYU and the, the church, their, the church affiliation, they've had a long history of racism, um, long history of sexism um, in the church, the uh, Church of Latter-day Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Um, and they want to do the work, though. They were like, you know what? We know we have some issues, but we want to do this work. So we started working with them in the summer of 2021. They actually flew us out to their homecoming in 2021 uh, uh, in October, I think, or November. Um, and we started to engage with them and we were going to work with some of their teams. And we've been able to stay in touch with them. The work hadn't picked up the way I think that we everybody kind of expected. We, we didn't meet with any of their teams afterwards, for like a full long talk. Um, we had some conversations. Um, but what happened, what, what, so, but the work, they, they're, they're the head of their church, right? So like, I'm just like, if you, like, if you think about this religion, there are 13 or 14 million people around the world that follow this church. The head of their church, kind of like their, their pope, if you will, if, if you know, for think for the Catholic church, their head of their church put out a statement that they wanted to root out racism, right? And so mm -hmm. at the highest levels of this church and of the school, they have this push, but it's also real work to do at the ground level. Right. You don't just make a statement and all of a sudden, you know, 70 years of history just get wiped away. And so our conversation, our relationship with BYU is that we're actively working with them. They have a lot of work to do, just as most places do. Right. But because they, they are a very big organization, they're there. They represent more than just a school. It is kind of a spotlight to say, well, you know, what's going on with them? And we just believe that, you know, there are 50,000 people in the BYU community. We've talked to 50 of them that's not going to get it done, right? So the idea is how do we get thousands of people at BYU to be able to stand up for racism so that when actions like what happened with this Duke volleyball player, it shouldn't come down to the team or the officials. Someone in the stands should have been like, yeah, we don't do that here. You got to take that outside. Like that's the whole point of anti-racism is that there are people walking around the campus, thousands of people that say, I think I heard racism. Let me go interrupt that real quick because we're not doing that here, right? So that's the goal we want to get to with them. We're just getting started with everybody, but especially with schools as big as, as BYU, with as much of a history that they've had, um, there's a lot of work to be done. And we're here for the work. And so as they want to continue to work with us, we'll continue to work with them. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's great. And, and I, I think it shows it, it's good that it, a, a big organization like that. And then when I heard that BYU was doing that, just from you know stereotypes about BYU, I was surprised that they did it. And um, I think it's really good that, you know, people are willing to to take that step in, in programs like that and and then hopefully build it from the grassroots up uh, in, in, a, in a place like BYU. I have one one more question for you before we get to our, our kind of final question. And yep. and that's that's just uh, I'm I'm just curious because, you know, we are just kind of uh, starting on this journey to well, not only diversify our, our podcast, but also um taking steps to become, you know, hopefully anti-racist ourselves and, and continue to build the, the courage and, and everything necessary. And I'm just wondering, you know, what is, what is after someone goes through the long talk, after someone goes through um, a conversation with you, what are the next steps you, you um, suggest for them? And, and kind of what are the next things they can do to, to continue educating themselves, educating others and, and things like that? Yeah, no, great question. It's called a long talk for a reason, right? So this and, and the full the full title of this is a long talk about the uncomfortable truth. So it's literally a, a long conversation around all these different things. And so after we go through the four, the, the, the two two hour sessions, 
people you know speak to it being transformational like it's literally it, it pulls the blinds off but we know that just like anything else if you do one you know drive-by trainings or anything like that you can't just teach somebody one time so our we actually have a living community that we tell people to stay connected to we have an online platform it's kind of like the if you think about uh, we, we're building like a, a, a anti-racist facebook without the ads and without zuckerberg right we don't want any of that stuff right we just a space where we can connect where there's information there's uh activities but that's the first thing we're building a space but the real thing that we ask people to do to keep this going is to dive in and get off the sidelines like wherever you are on your journey with this you got to just go deeper whether and again that might be reading something that might be having a conversation it might be revisiting something but it's for us we want to continue to have programming for people because if you went from not knowing any of this to you know going through four hours of me and having your head blown apart like it's like literally this will blow you blow your mind because we grow up thinking we know all this stuff and then you watch an 80 minute video and you learn history of america that you never learned about it's going to mess you up so what we do is we have every single month we have conversations if you look at our website look at our events and go to past events we just have different conversations we want our people to read a book and then come talk to us about it you can go read a book on your own but until you get some perspective you know it, it doesn't really mean the same thing for instance you can we have movie mixers so or we'll ask our people in our group to watch a movie like 13th so that's another great movie you can watch the documentary on netflix 13 that talks about how slavery just transformed into our current day prison system i was literally the same thing you can watch a movie like 13th that really will bring more questions for you and then we have a one hour discussion on zoom with people all over the country who have watched 13th and now let's talk about it right because that allows you to go deeper because i want you to get to the point where you don't have to know everything but i want you to have an awareness that you can just start recognizing things we have to start being able to analyze this stuff on our own. You don't necessarily need a black person to say, hey, that's racism. You know what? That, mm -hmm. that right there is the problem. You should have a mindset of like, wait a minute, this reminds me of this. I, I think I know what this is because they've had some exposure to a movie or a book or a conversation. So the biggest thing is just keeping this conversation going. I hope that, you know, you learn something from our conversation, conversation today. I want to learn. I've, I've been thinking about Rick's whole experience growing up in Germany. I want to I want to have that conversation with you one day. Like, literally, I want to learn that because I think you know, the more we're able to talk about this stuff, the more normalized it becomes. Like, it's mm -hmm. just, you know, I had to explain fantasy football to my girlfriend once. And she, and, and it was, I thought it was going to be the worst thing ever. Like, because not, we're not just talking about football, we're talking about fantasy football. <laughs> but I realized in her watching me do fantasy football for a couple of weeks, it not only helped her understand fantasy football, she literally understood the game, of, the game better of football because of that. Because mm -hmm. What would have been contention between us she was like i can't believe you're gonna do this again this year <laughs> like and i'm like let me show you what it's about right and because we mm -hmm. were able to do that it built it built a deeper relationship something that was contentious before we were able to have it and, and we got deeper about it so it's the same thing people are very nervous about this conversation once you get into it you're like oh it's really not that bad i just have to listen and learn and understand it and now we can all act differently and act better together so I think that's it. just you got to immerse yourself in it like anything else. You got to care enough to do the work. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. I, I think it's been a great conversation so far. And and just to, to cap it off, we, we ask everybody uh, this question at the, the end of the conversation. But it's just if you have any final thoughts, any final message or any kind of final tips for us or our listeners who are, you know, just kind of sports coaches, coach developers out there. Um, when it become when it comes to being anti-racist in in sports and just in life in general. Yeah, I would say I think the biggest thing is it's going to take all of us. 
I think for so long, this move, this this push against racism or this fight for social justice has always been looked at as a black people problem. Like mm-hmm. it's not like it's been like we want to cheer for Martin Luther King. We want to cheer for folks. Hey, I, I'm a side. I'm on the sideline. But if black people could have ended white supremacy, we'd have done it by now. Like we've mm-hmm. literally been giving our lives to save this country and countries around the world from from this 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 evil. I mean, you have to understand when when people just strictly want to oppress other people and to, to elevate themselves. That's evil. That's that's not how we all get along. It's not going to work over time, right? And so. What my biggest point is, I just want everybody to get off the sideline. There's work to be done, everybody. And it's not just it's not just my work or my ancestors. It's not the reason why we have to keep telling young black children to just keep fighting and maybe next generation, it's gonna take generations, is because white people are on the sideline doing nothing. Like literally, there are levers you can push there. There it happens way more around you than it even does around me. I'm not in the room when I'm decided they're not gonna hire me. I'm not there. But if you're there and say, and you can ask a question, well, what do we see in his, you know, what do we see on this resume we don't like? Somebody says that out loud. Like, those are the kind of questions that bring this all together. So for me, I just think it's a matter of getting off the sideline, choosing to make a decision, or taking a choice. You know, my, my parents didn't, did not believe, my, my parents went to the March on Washington. They, they didn't believe white people would ever get off the sidelines and help us unmask. Like, they didn't expect that. I'm showing them now thousands of people in very important positions. We're working with every Ivy League university in America, working with banks like Deutsche Bank and JP Morgan. We're working with people that could actually make a difference. And all they had to do is start pushing some buttons and making some things happen. That's how that's how the flag at NASCAR finally came down. That wasn't a black mm-hmm. person standing there protesting. Some white person in the meeting said, all right, listen, seriously, let's take this down. And it happened. So get off the sidelines and and just decide what can I do? You know, what can I do to do this where it might not necessarily affect me directly? Like it might not be to my personal benefit, but it benefits us all when we live in a place where it's just fair and equal. We can all, you know, be be together and truly start working to, to solve some of these bigger problems once we get past this one that divides us. So just get in the game and just get involved and just start learning and start wherever you are. It doesn't matter where you are. Just start and decide I'm going to get better. I'm going to read. I'm going to talk. I'm going to have this conversation. And most importantly, I'm going to act. When it's time to step up, I'm gonna do something and not be afraid and meek meek to do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stand. So that was my piece. Awesome. Well, Kyle, thank you very much for a really, really good conversation today. I, I think that um, not I, I'm inspired to be honest, and then I, I'm inspired to continue my own journey along this um, path to, to being an anti-racist. So um, thank you, and and, and um, I'm I'm just really glad. So everyone. Uh, go and check out alongtalk.com and, and check out everything that um, Kyle and the guys are, are doing over there. So, yeah, thank you again. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. This was great. Thank you. So one more time, big thanks to Kyle Williams for taking the time and joining us here today on the Coaches Road podcast to discuss this very crucial topic with us. As Derek has been mentioning in the introduction, we never had this topic before on our podcast. So I think, uh, and if we see the history of our podcast, uh, we have recorded including Coaches Road episodes, about 160 episodes or something. And this is actually the first time we are talking about this. Uh, So I think, uh, and it would be very, very, I think, 
from great value if you would repeat the episode or have uh, another discussion with him that goes in a different direction but still the same topic and we hope that uh, everyone who has been listening until here found the information as valuable as we did as well so um first point i would like to make is that um i found it very um interesting when kyle was talking about um when it was very popular to smoke cigarettes and that also reminded me about that uh, i still remember there used to be a time in germany where there was commercial about where people actually smoked cigarettes in tv and everyone got this like image that cigarettes is something uh, very popular and it's something that you should do definitely and this is the coolest thing in the world and uh, but then long term wise uh, people realized or science has shown that cigarettes are very, very dangerous and that they actually can kill you. And uh, probably everyone who's living a healthy life do not want to die. And um, and I still think uh, it was very meaningful how Carl was describing that, uh, of course, cigarettes are still available. The taxes for them increase, so they are more expensive. So people say, oh, or think about maybe I'm not going to smoke cigarettes anymore. And that equals pretty much about what we have been talking here today that actually it's really really important to talk to people about or educate them about uh, anti-racism so people can become more conscious about it and then it's still at the end of the day uh, maybe this is a bit sad but then it's still their choice how they deal with anti-racism so everyone knows the information are available but then it's very important that we by ourselves make the decision how we deal with it yeah and if someone still chooses after being becoming aware of, you know, what they're actually doing and, and the, the harm they're causing, mm. if someone still chooses to do it, then we say take it outside, just like we did with the, the cigarettes, right? Like, and kind of push them away from from our space, from um, the environment that we want to create, where everyone feels like they can be safe, where they're not going to be um, attacked and and kind of. Um, have racist things said to them or about them or things like that. And I really liked the, the point when we were talking about um, the, the CPR protocol where Kyle said that a lot of the times racism happens when uh, people of color aren't even in the room. And then it's our job as anti-racist or when, as we become more and more anti-racist that we bring them into the room, we bring their experience into the room and, and that CPR protocol, which you can find in the in the show notes on our on our Google Doc that we that we linked, um, is I think really powerful in helping just give you some guidance on how you can interrupt racism and how you can kind of turn it back on um, the the person being racist and make them defend their stance and make them think about you know how are they making um, black people feel how are they making people of color feel and um, I, I I like that he he mentioned it as well that. It can be used when you hear like sexist comments or, um, you know, just comments about any mi uh, minoritized uh, individuals. And so I think that that's a really powerful tool that we now have that we can use to, to interrupt racism, even if it's just, you know, in, in hockey environments, for example, it's a lot of the times just white people in the room. So when, when can we use that to, to interrupt the racism when something in that kind of environment and still educate people on, um, why racism is not acceptable and why it is not going to be part of our environment, part of our um, part of our club or uh, organization or anything like that. And 
Um, so I, I really like that idea of, hey, like, just take it outside. If you if you want to be a racist, then, you know, that's like, like, just take it outside, get away from us and, and don't don't bring that into into our environment. Yeah, don't, especially I think don't, don't live it publicly, pu publicly. That's, I think, uh, something very, very crucial uh, because uh, as uh, Carl was preaching during the episode, it needs to be everybody versus racism. So that the racism, actually the amount of racism uh, is going to be decreased overall. So I think that uh, was also a very, very powerful message. And I think in terms of the, PCR protocol, what I found so valuable about it is that you actually, instead of saying to people that, no, 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 you, you can't say this specific word and what, what, this is, this is, this is not good. You can't say it. You, instead of them, instead of actually trying to debate with them and, and telling them what to do, you start to have a conversation about them. And then you can, then you ask them, like he was saying specifically that, Hey, what do you actually mean? with what you have been saying here right now. Why did you say that? Uh, and I think then, because then you start to have a conversation, you don't attack anyone and you actually make the person think and uh, then you can uh, can really like actually dive into the thinking process uh, of someone because uh, then uh, then then maybe uh, also you real then or maybe also chose that someone is maybe not that educated about racism yet, but uh, it can be definitely still, it can definitely still happen. So, um, so I think that's why this CPR protocol is so valuable because you turn it from having like a, like a preaching hour to having like a dialogue. Uh, that's very, very essential, I think, or more conversation about what yeah. the person. Yeah. And you, you kind of make them defend their racism a little bit. Right. And, And I really liked the piece um, when when we just asked them on like how how do you become more anti-racist? How do you how do you be more anti-racist? And and the point he said was it's all about educating to end hate. And and I think that that a really important piece there is um, what he said as well. Like when someone acts out of ignorance, then you can't judge their intent. So when you use that CPR protocol. It can really make people, I think, understand that, hey, they don't really know why they believe what they believe. And they don't really know the whole truth behind, you know, what makes that racist, what kind of oppression black people have been through in the past and and still are currently under today. And and so I think it really is really helpful when you can combine those two things and really kind of help them to understand like the, the harm they're causing. And I really liked the the equation that he gave us like information and, and empathy equals action. Like when you know about something and you, you care about something, then you're going to act on something. And, and I'm just hoping to continue in my own journey to becoming more and more anti-racist, continue to learn more about it and, and continue to, to care more about it and then continue to act more about it myself. And, and I think that that is, is, just kind of where I'm at right now, like just continue to learn more about, you know, the, the oppression and the history and the, the true history, because I still remember like the history books when I was in school, we touched, we had, you know, like a sub chapter on slavery and, and that's not the whole story no. uh, of what black people have been through in, in America and, and all over. So um, learning more about just the, the true history of, of oppression and everything in, in my own country and, and just, 
how learning more and more, how can I act? When can I step in uh, and, and finding more and more courage to, to become uh, an anti-racist? And um, I, I just, I like that because it, that equation they gave us, because it helps you think about, you know, um, when someone is, is acting racist, then maybe they just, they really haven't thought about why and helping using that CPR protocol to kind of probe them and make them think about it and make it and defend it can maybe wake someone up to say like, Hey, I really don't know why I think like this. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I think also if I think about uh, myself in terms of anti-racism, so racism for me is always something that I've been very conscious about. And I think uh, my parents pushed me strongly in direction that this is something uh, you should definitely uh, not do uh, because they would have if i would have shown any actions in this area they would have been extremely mad about me and that's something of course very very good and i still remember that my actually my father he tried to educate it, educate me about a lot of things like oh i like the when i was six years old i was watching documentaries about uh, the history of germany and also documentaries about uh, sometimes about these kind of things. I think uh, it's a very, very important that the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I think it's very, very important that we start to make people conscious as soon as possible about it. And that then this way we have like a influence on, on their thinking already. So especially if we, if we start to have own children, that's, that's, that's the point I want to make. And, but uh, in terms of like, of course I, I know about it and, uh, but um, then also like, uh, like, for example, like Carl was preaching that how often do we actually take initiatives to do actively something against it because I know about it. I do not support the racism at all, uh, 100%. But uh, then, uh, for example, something like we did today with the podcast, uh, we have been speaking about privately sometimes, but how often did we actually record an episode about anti-racism? That was the first time. So... Uh, um, so I think it's uh, very important that we speak about it uh, more openly also because we have some kind of platform that we can use and where we can at least uh, have some conversations about it from time to time. Yeah, and, and like what Kyle said, like I, I brought it up as well. Like I knew it was going to be an uncomfortable podcast for, for me at least. And and it was to, to a lot of extents. Like I, I, I wasn't necessarily comfortable doing this conversation right away but i think that's the point like it can't be comfortable it, it, it mm. can't be right away and and that's the that's the whole thing is you, you have to be comfortable talking about it you have to be comfortable confronting racism when you yeah. see it and and that's a process and and just saying that hey i'm gonna lean into it i'm gonna get more information i'm gonna you know care more i'm going to take more action and i i think that's the the process of becoming an anti-racist and it's kind of like everything else you know we say on the podcast all the time the learning never stops the growth never stops and becoming an anti-racist never stops you can you can always do more and always um take that next step in your kind of anti-racist journey and i i think that that's it's a it's a really important step for us i think in our podcast and, and in our coaching and in our lives that you know we're we're starting to have these conversations and, and we hope to get kyle back on um after we've been through the 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 long talks on zoom and everything and um talk about our experience in there and, and just continue this conversation and and get more people on more people of color on more women on um so we can 
you know, live up to our value of diversity on this show. And um, yeah, but I think it's, uh, I'm glad we finally took the step, um, but I think we still have a, a long way to go. Um, uh, as he said, uh, my last point I want to make is that uh, he was preaching on the episode that ignorance is a choice. And I think that's very, very true in terms of a lot of things, uh, in terms of racism, in terms of uh, like a lot of things Cal has been mentioning as well during the episode. Uh, so I think uh, ignorance is definitely a choice. And I think it's something I think it's something that uh, stucks into your mind and makes you more consciously about that. This is actually yeah. that you can choose to be ignorant or not to be ignorant. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it's it that's a really powerful thing. And, and I, I think that's part of it. Like, just, just, and it, I don't know, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but like when you, when you see someone being ignorant, acting out of ignorance, like you also have a choice. Like, can you, can you confront this person and, and, and help them understand that they are, you know, they don't know really what they're saying. They don't really know what they're talking about or, or the history behind it. Um, or are you just going to continue walking down the sidewalk or continue watching the, the basketball game as a, for example, in one of the stories that um, Kyle brought up in the show, or, or are you going to do something about it and, and, and step in and, and use that protocol and just some other tools that, that you have at your disposal as, um, as an anti-racist. So I think that um, that pretty much sums up the show today, but it, it was a really important episode, I think, and, and really a powerful um and, and I'm really glad that we're on this journey together, Rick, and, and we can continue to have these conversations now and continue to learn and continue to um, to continue to grow. So um, thank you, everybody, for, for listening up to this point. Uh, we would love to hear um, your guys' thoughts and everything like that. And uh, as always, if you have any recommendations on um, future guests or future topics and maybe how we can continue this conversation on the show and, and in our own lives, then um, please just let us know at the coaches road at gmail.com. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll see everybody next week with another episode. Thanks. Bye.